Morning again. Welcome to part three. This series we're calling What Happens to You When You Die. Now you might be curious as to how we came up with this sermon series, and that is because over our three years together, nearly three years together as a church, we've had a number of people ask some form of this question. What happens to you when you die? It comes in all shapes and sizes. Some people ask about hell. Some people ask about heaven. Some people ask if there's even an afterlife at all. Is it eternal? What's it going to be like? Will I know people there? Will my pets be there? Which I know when some of you heard that I was going to be preaching on heaven, you came just to find out if I'd answer that specific question. Will my pets be in heaven. So let's get it out of the way right here on the front end. I will answer that for you. Over and over in the Bible, animals are mentioned in heaven. You can see it when Elijah gets taken up to heaven by a chariot of horses. Jesus is riding a horse in heaven in Revelation. And Isaiah talks about the lamb will lay down with the lion. So animals are definitely mentioned in heaven. But I know That's not what you're asking. You don't want to know about animals. You want to know, is my dog or is my cat in heaven? So let me tell you, I don't know, okay? (laughs) The Bible doesn't say. Tells us everything we need to know, not everything we want to know. But here's what I can tell you for certain. I'm absolutely convinced of this. Your cat ain't going to make it, okay? (laughs) Just You can write that down. Cats... In hell. I'm just telling you, that's where I'm landing on that whole thing. So, uh, kidding. Totally kidding. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. It's not in here. So, why, why are we really talking about this? I mean, aside from the fact people ask, because people ask a lot of questions we can't devote an entire sermon series to. So, why are we talking about the afterlife and what happens to you when you die? I'll tell you why. Because your present is controlled by what you believe about your future. Your life right now is controlled by what you believe is going to happen to you in your future. You think about it. Why you majored in what you majored in. Why you married who you married. Why you work where you work. You believed something about your future. Probably what you thought you were going to get paid, which is why you chose your job. But uh, something in your mind is triggering you to make decisions based on your future. It's vastly important for you to realize that because it's either going to lead you to hope or it's going to lead you to despair. And I'll give you an example of that. Let's say you've got a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, plus you like pistachios. So you realize in your mind, I can probably make some money if I can just get the pistachios out of the shell because nobody likes to crack the shell. And so you set up a dingy dark room with two guys and you tell them their job is to crack pistachios low overhead for you one room a table pistachios that's it a light maybe okay and you tell the guys you need to just crack these pistachios so very boring very tedious job same room same situation 10 hours a day six days a week but you tell the one guy at the end of this year I will give you $20,000 for your job. But you tell the other guy, hey man, at the end of this year, cracking these pistachios, I'm going to give you $20 million. What's going to happen? 
the one guy, after about a month or two, is going to say, this is terrible. I can't continue on. Cracking pistachios is horrible. It's boring. I'm going to go insane. And he's going to quit. But the other guy who's getting $20 million is going to be saying, I love this job. This is amazing. All I got to do is sit here and crack shells. I couldn't have asked for anything else. Now they're experiencing the same circumstances in vastly different ways. Why? Because of what they believe about their future. Your future dramatically impacts your present right now. It makes all the difference. All the difference. So let me ask you, what do you believe about your future? Do you believe that this world is all there is? So when you die, you just go to the grave and rot and cease to exist. Like, do you believe that someday the sun is going to fizzle out and die and all human civilization is going to be gone and nobody's going to be around to remember anything anyone has ever done? Or do you believe that in your future there is an afterlife? That there is a heaven, that there may be even be a hell, that there might even be a new heaven and a new earth. Maybe there's a judgment day. Do you believe that nobody is going to get away with anything that they've done and therefore everything you do right now counts forever? Those are two vastly different futures. And depending which one you believe, you're going to make decisions in wildly different ways. What I hope you realize is that one of these futures leads you to a hope and one of them leads to despair. Because if this world is all there is and your actions don't matter, then do whatever you want. Why follow any rules? Why not just do anything? But if you believe that your life matters and that you're going to have to answer to your actions one day, and that your life is connected to a story that will live well past the day you take your last breath, well, then you have a hope. And what I want for you this morning is to leave here with a hope. So today, I want to explain as best as I can this future hope you will have if you put your faith in Jesus Christ in a place called heaven. Now, in fairness, there is no way I can cover everything on heaven in just one 30-minute sermon. So we're going to be here for three hours. Okay, you just need to settle in right now, and I'm going to cover it all. No, I'm kidding. But maybe we'll find out how it goes. But I want you to understand that there is so much more to heaven than what you probably realize. And if you need some encouragement when you leave here, aside from the Bible, I would strongly, strongly recommend you pick up Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven. I used it repeatedly in preparation for this today, and I cannot recommend it enough. It completely changed my view on heaven. But that being said, a couple things I want you to know about heaven. First of all, you can see there on your sermon outline, you should have received one when you walked in. Where is heaven? Where is heaven? You might write this down. There's a present heaven. There's a future heaven. They're different. Present heaven, future heaven, they are different. Heaven, as many of us know it, is not the final stop for our souls. When followers of Christ die right now, they go to what what I'm referring to as an intermediate heaven. 
And eventually there will be this final heaven where you get a resurrected body and you live there forever. So this is not me making this up. Again, I want to show you this in Scripture. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be all over the Bible today. So normally I just give you one specific text, ask you to turn there. And then if you're new to the whole Bible thing, that's great for you because you can just find it uh, on your own time and you're not having to try to keep up. But the subject of heaven is so broad. That I'm going to ask you to turn to one text, but we're going to go to a lot of them, and I'll post them here on the screen so you don't have to try and keep up. But I'm going to ask you to turn to the very back of your Bible. Last book in your Bible is called Revelation. Last two chapters in Revelation, chapters 21 to 22, are kind of the quintessential texts on heaven and what heaven is going to be like. So I want you to look at the big 21, chapter 21, Revelation 21. Right there in verse 1, it reads... Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you might have been told that Revelation is just full of symbols and allegorical language, and you can't take it seriously because nobody really understands what John is talking about, which... If that's what you were told, okay, it's not true, but fine. I want to connect this to another passage that was written over a thousand years before in Isaiah. So we can all agree that Isaiah was not using allegorical language here. He just wrote what God told him to write as a prophet of God. So nearly a thousand years before, watch this, Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Seeing some similarities here. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be in the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Here's our text about animals. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountains, says the Lord. Seeing the similarities there. Anybody else wish allergies were not in this world? My goodness, I've been getting destroyed here recently. But look at how it describes heaven here. You're going to build houses. You're going to inhabit them. You're going to plant. You're going to work. You're going to eat food. 
God is going to be with you. You're going to enjoy it, verse 18 says. God is with us and we're happy. That's what heaven is going to be like. Heaven is not just this place where you get angels' wings and a harp and you sit on clouds, you sing praises to God all day. That sounds horrible to me, right? I hate singing and the harp sucks, right? I mean, nobody listens to a harp anymore. What is that? I found this far side cartoon depicts heaven wonderfully. Yeah, wish I'd brought a magazine. Yeah, me too. If that's what heaven was like, that would be terrible. I would take my chances somewhere else. I can remember thinking this as a kid, honestly, not making this up, that heaven sounded horrible to me. I had this lady who was not pleasant. Okay, she was just angry all the time. She was always scolding the kids, telling us all the things we couldn't do. And she told me one time that I couldn't set another book on top of my Bible because the Bible's holy. So if my Bible's on the desk, can't have another book on top of it. That's a sin. Are you serious? I mean, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Now, one day she was extremely mad, yelling at us about how we can't do anything, telling our parents how awful we are. I remember one time she said, don't you want to go to heaven? In my mind, I thought, not if you're going to be there. Right? I mean, good. <laughs> Dang, it sounds, sounds terrible to me. But honestly, Satan does not need to convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He only needs to convince us that heaven is going to be a place that's boring and unearthly. If we believe that lie, we'll be robbed of our joy and anticipation. We'll set our minds on this life, not the next. We won't be motivated to share our faith. Because ultimately that question is going to come up and nobody wants to have to explain that heaven's going to be terrible. But it's not. That's not what scripture teaches. Revelation thirteen six tells us the satanic beast opened his mouth to blaspheme God, slander his name and his dwelling place, plus those who live in heaven. So in other words... Our enemy slanders slanders God's person, God's people, God's place, namely heaven. That's why you can't believe some of these things are being told to you about God and about his people and specifically about heaven. Because after being forcibly evicted from heaven, which you can read about in Isaiah 14, the devil became bitter not only towards God, but also towards mankind and, as we've seen, towards heaven itself because he's no longer allowed in heaven. must be maddening for him to know that we are now going to call a place home that he was kicked out of. So what better way for the devil and his demons to attack us than to whisper lies about the very place the Bible tells us we need to be setting our minds towards? Colossians 3.2, Paul says, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. You need to know that in order to do that, you don't need to look up at the clouds. You simply need to look around at the world and imagine what it would be like with no sin and no death and no suffering and no corruption. I'm convinced that everything on this planet that's not inherently sinful will be part of the next. Art, music, athletics, how you can build things, how you can create things, food, eating, it's all going to be there. Here's why. Because in the beginning, God could have created human beings to live with him in heaven, but he didn't. Instead, he made a place that he could come down to and walk with humans in their world. 
on the earth that he created just for us. It's Genesis 1 and 2. Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. I'm going to throw a lot more, so please bear with me. I promise we're going to take you somewhere. I got, I'm going to connect this all together, but I want to read for you this portion of Genesis 1.26. It reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So notice, our original vocation, as laid out by God, was to reflect God's holiness and character on earth as a community of his image bearers. He only has given us two rules that we can do. Make babies, rule over creation. Can we agree that sounds awesome? Yes. Death's nowhere to be found. Evil's nowhere to be found. We are reflecting God's glory as hunters, gatherers, and lovers. Incredible. God continues in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of it for the day you eat of it. You shall surely die. This is important to our conversation about heaven because God added one more rule for us. He said, you can't do all of these things. You can't do this one thing. All you have to do is keep one rule. That rule, don't disobey me. Only negative command we get in Scripture. Yes, get married. Yes, make babies. Yes, work hard. Yes, eat whatever you want, but not from this one tree. You might be wondering, well, why did God even do that? Why did that have to even be a possibility? Why not just let us be his image bearers? Because... In a roundabout way, the fact that we are his image bearers, he required us to actually get that command because we're not him. We're his image bearers. We're not God. The reason for the tree is to remind us we are like God, but we are not God. He sets the rules. God had seen this episode play out before. He created a being, the highest being ever created. That being began to be proud. He began to think he deserved some splendor. I'm obviously talking about the devil. If you want an interesting read, go check out Ezekiel 28, roundabout verse 12, where God starts talking about the devil and what he was created for and how he cast him out of heaven. But my point is, God had seen what perfection could do to someone, and this is where we find ourselves in Eden. Perfect, highest of all creation, yet not God. So God creates this tree, commands us not to eat of it because we're not God. And you probably know the rest of the story. Man and woman ultimately are tempted by the devil. Eat of the fruit of the tree. And what happens is exactly what God promised. Death enters the scene. Sin fractures every area of humanity and the earth. God not only curses humanity, he also curses the earth. And I'll tie this now back to our conversation about present heaven, future heaven. They are different. You'll notice when God creates humanity and the earth, he 
curses Eden and humans. He does not destroy the earth. Look at this. Genesis 3.23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east end of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. It is not destroyed. What, dis- what was destroyed is mankind's ability to live in Eden. In other words, God preserved it because, as we'll see, mankind will occupy it once again. So I think John and Isaiah are talking about the new Jerusalem, new heaven. Show you, okay? Back to Revelation, chapter 22 this time. Watch this. This is amazing. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the city. It's the new Jerusalem. Also on either side of the river or right in between the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit. When? Each month. So there's time in heaven. There must be seasons in heaven. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Don't have time to get into that today, but there's nations in heaven, all kinds of different people. What's our old song? Red, yellow, black, and white. They're precious in his sight. That's what heaven is going to look like. Now, here's what I'm getting at. God has never given up on his original creation. He's preserving the tree of life for a reason. I believe that reason is because God's entire point of the Bible, the Bible tells one story. That story is a story of redemption. God's purpose is laser focused on redemption. Somehow we have managed to overlook an entire biblical vocabulary that makes this point clear. Words like reconcile redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, regenerate, resurrect. These are all words that show God is the first recycler. (laughs) Y'all green around here? Watch that show Fixer Upper. God made this way cool before it was hip and trendy in our world today. God says, you want some shiplap? I got your shiplap over here. God has always seen light in what he intended us to be. And he, since the foundation of the world, has been about restoring us to that original design. God's purpose, God's plan is all about redemption. That's why a new heaven is different than the current heaven. You might be interested to know that word redemption literally translates to buy back what was formerly owned. See, the story of the Bible is God owned us. We sold ourselves for a piece of fruit. And the rest of the Bible is all about how God's going to buy us back with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's redemption. That's what it's all about. Watch this. Jesus, because he's buying us back with his blood, he's paying the price. We need to take seriously what he says and watch what he says about heaven. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you at the renewal 
of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. Plus, you're going to inherit eternal life. We've got time to get all into everything there, but notice Christ's words choice at the beginning. He didn't say after the destruction of all things. He didn't say after the abandonment of all things. He said after the renewal of all things. It's a clear teaching throughout Scripture of a renewed humanity on a renewed earth. It's because it's what God is all about. So now when you read the story of Jesus being executed on a cross and you see the thief next to him and he says, uh, today you will be with me in paradise, you can understand that that's the current intermediate heaven. When people die, they go to this current heaven, what Jesus calls paradise. But one day, God is going to restore his creation into this Eden and to an eternal paradise that the Bible calls new heaven and new earth. Don't misunderstand me. Heaven right now is a literal place. It's not a state of mind. You go there, it's physical. You can read in the Hebrews about how people are there, not with their resurrected bodies, but waiting on Christ to return and give us these new bodies. Point one, heaven is real. You will go there when you die if you believe in Jesus, but this current heaven is not the final heaven. It's not the place you'll get your resurrected body. That's going to come when Christ comes. Still with me? Two of you. Great. Let's try and answer another question. Maybe you all get on board here. What will heaven be like? Well, this is a difficult question to answer. It's a bit like trying to explain Disney World to a child. This past March, my mother-in-law got her daughters and their families tickets to Disney, which is awesome. My wife and I had both been to Disney, but our kids had never been to Disney. And uh, you need to understand that my son's not much of a traveler. Okay. He's like his daddy, kind of a homebody, like to be at home. So when he found out Disney was in Florida, he didn't want to go. He said, no, I'm good. I'll stay here with Gina. Gina's a dog, son. She has no hands. How are you going to eat? Right. Okay. Anyway, Uh, So we're trying to explain to him that Disney is going to be awesome. Everything that you like, son, is at Disney. Guns, swords, pirates, Star Wars, robots, rides. It's all there. Most magical place on earth. To a five-year-old, that doesn't mean anything. Okay, Some things in life you just have to experience. It's very much what heaven is going to be like. You just have to experience. The Bible tells us some things, but other things you're going to have to experience. But to help us out this morning, I've got a list that I compiled for you of things that are in Scripture. Here's what's not going to be in heaven. Sickness. We already read that. That was in our first passage. Sadness. Again, first passage. Not in heaven. Suffering. Not in heaven. Sin. Specifically, fear and shame. Can't sin. What were the first two uh, realizations of sin for Adam and Eve? Fear, hid themselves, shame, covered themselves. Okay? Uh, 
not going to be heaven. Finally, death. We understand that heaven is eternal. No death in heaven. What is in heaven? Reunion. Man, there's going to be some fantastic reunions in heaven for anybody that you know as a believer in Christ. You're going to get to reunite with them. Furthermore, I believe, and I can make a strong biblical case for this, that every child is going to be in heaven. Aborted, miscarried, whatever. We're going to be reunited with them. Some of you know my story, which is why I'm getting worked up right right here. But we're going to see them again. Rewards. We're going to talk about that more next week. There's going to be rewards in heaven. Responsibilities. We've got to work in heaven. We see that. Tending gardens, building houses. God gave you a purpose on earth. Why would he get rid of it when you get into heaven? Responsibilities. Rest. Rejoicing. Jot it down this way. Heaven is your life rehabilitated, not altogether new. It's your life rehabilitated. Again, why would God change you if he made you for a reason now? He's going to renew you. It's going to rehabilitate you. There's nothing that's going to separate you from God. It's the fullness of your life. Everything you longed for here, it's going to be in heaven. It's not going to be boring. Well, can we talk in heaven? Will we know each other in heaven? Is there time? What will we remember? I can't answer all of that, but I want to answer a lot of it in one passage. Revelation 6, 9. You should be in Revelation. Turn a few pages to your left. When the Lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Notice a few things. These people that are in heaven, this intermediate heaven that we've already talked about, were the same people as they were on earth. They were just relocated. In other words, their personal history extended from earth to heaven. They were aware of the fact that they had been murdered and they asked God to avenge them, which is important because they called out, which would suggest you have the ability to express yourself vocally and audibly in heaven. You can speak. Furthermore, they called out in a loud voice, which would suggest that they are emotional. That's when you typically raise your voice, when emotions get attached to it. When your emotions get involved, you speak up. So it looks like we're able to do that in heaven. It looks like we're not that different. These people who were killed are fully conscious. They're aware of each other. They're aware of God. They're aware of the situation on earth. They ask God to intervene on their behalf. More importantly, they were free enough in heaven to ask God a question. So not only is God in heaven and with us, but he gives us the opportunity to learn. Asking a question suggests you don't have everything figured out. It also suggests that you've got a faculty for thought and learning. They're given a white robe. So they're individuals. Each were given a white robe. Plus, clothes would suggest a physical form 
not just some spirit floating around. Why? Ghosts don't wear clothes that I'm aware of, okay? God, when he answers their question, tells them to wait. That's a time-dependent question, time-dependent answer. If I got all that from three verses, you can see why trying to explain heaven is next to impossible. Not that we should wonder. (coughs) It's okay to wonder. That's why God's given us an imagination. That's why God doesn't specifically lay it out for us. Because we can't comprehend everything. We need to wonder. But don't allow your wonderment to distract you from the main thing. What's the main thing? I'll explain it like this. As we close, I want you to do me a favor. Everybody close your eyes. Imagine in your mind the greatest place on earth. Whatever that is for you, imagine that. Get that picture in your mind. Your heaven on earth. Are you seeing it? Open up your eyes. Okay. Here's a few that I came up with. Heaven on earth. Bora Bora, are you serious? Yes, please. Right on the ocean. I can handle that. What's another one? Augusta National. I would sell my left kidney to get a tea time on there, right? I mean, this is unbelievable. Heaven on earth. What's next? Man, I tell you what. Wouldn't mind seeing that in a field in front of my deer stand. Yes, please. Next. Are you serious? Allen Fieldhouse. Hey, even if you're not a KU fan, this is the number one ranked atmosphere for basketball in the country. I've, I've been there with people who despise KU. And at the end of the time, they would all say, yeah, that was pretty cool. Okay. I mean, you get goosebumps. James Naismith. I mean, he created basketball. It's all here. Okay. What's next? Man, family, heaven on earth, Chewbacca, also amazing, right? Love it. I think that's my last one. In your mind, what is your heaven on earth? The reason these are some of my favorite places, the reason whatever you're thinking of in your mind right now is your favorite place is because of what's associated with them. I have some sort of connection and memory to each one of those places. And whatever you're thinking of, the same thing is true. You have a connection. You love that place. Most people, when they think of heaven, they are focused on the wrong things. They're focused on the streets of gold, the gates, the water, the fruit, all of it. It's all in the Bible. But the reason heaven will be awesome It's not because of what is there, but because who is there. That's what heaven is going to make heaven awesome. Who is there? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The reason heaven is going to be awesome is because we finally won't be distracted. We get so distracted in this world. We get connected to things that in the long run don't really make a difference. Typically, we forget about Jesus in the midst of all these distractions. And none of those distractions are even bad. Don't hear me say that. 
but they're distracting us from the main thing. See, there's one other thing that won't happen in heaven. I didn't put it on your list because here it is. The opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. That ain't in heaven either. That's the main thing we need to be focused on here on this earth. God has made you for a reason. He's given you a purpose. That purpose is, first of all, to glorify him. And next is to lead other people to Christ. So they'll get to experience this heaven the same way that you will. Don't be so heaven-focused that you're of no earthly good. Keep the main thing the main thing. Amen, somebody? Let's pray. God, thank you for the reality of heaven that one day we will get to see you face to face. And that if we as believers in Jesus Christ, you will get into heaven. You will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of my master. God, we long for that day. But we also know that our time here on earth is not finished. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to see those around us. You said the fields are ripe for harvest. God, make us this harvest workers. Make this place a safe place for your harvest field, for people to come in and hear the good news that Jesus paid our price, that he's bought us back with his blood and that we will forever get to praise you, not in some weird, unearthly way, but because you've given us in heaven opportunities to create and build and eat and have fun and celebrate. Let this feast have people that we have led to you in Jesus' name. Help us, God, go from this place. God, if there's anybody here this morning as we continue to pray who is ready to give their life to you, if that's you, if God's speaking to you right now, the Bible says confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now so that you can leave here knowing heaven is for you. Heaven's for real. I invite you just to pray with me. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I haven't kept the rules. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've been proud. I'm sorry I haven't humbled myself before you. I repent of that sin. I want to turn from evil. I want to follow you because I believe that Jesus died for my sin. He paid my price. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.